Welcome to Screen Thoughts with Hollister and O'Toole. There. It's sent, I think. I never know. Gemma, I thought you weren't going to think about this. I'm trying to undo it. Undo what? I tried to protect you, my darling, but your mother is a corporate terrorist. In my law practice, I represent the manufacturer of a cheap car that occasionally tips over when it turns left. I thought you defended animals made by snowmobiles. This case is an aberration, Cole. Your mother is a statue of liberalism. I wrote a memo advising that drivers of the car could just make three right turns. They, they could reach their destination safely by just going the long way. I suggested that the GPS apologize when people get in the car and then argue when they want to make a left. It is unconscionable what I did. And now they want to give me a bigger office. <laughs> so Hollister and I are in New York City this week for the Tribeca Film Festival. Yes, we are. We're really excited to be here. And we're at the Beacon Theater, which hosted the opening uh, last night of the film festival. But really, we're here for so many other reasons. Great lunch over at Women Make Movies. And... Now, we yes, have, yes, we are here with a very special guest, um, the amazingly talented writer and director, Elliot Thompson, who is a filmmaker here in New York. And his short film, it's a brilliant short film, The Refuge, is currently having a very successful run at festivals Hugely, around the, the globe. Yeah. I mean, amazing. He screened recently in Istanbul and was just at the Cleveland International Film Festival, which is an Oscar-qualifying fest. Where he, I would just like to add in, that he uh, he won it out of 224 shorts. And definitely Christ. deserves it. It was the yeah. winner at Sun Valley. It is whimsical. It is profound. Elliot, welcome to the show. And, it, and it's funny. It's funny. And Elliot's funny, too. And it is, Elliot's today. beyond funny. He's witty. Yeah, exactly. He's witty. He's deep. And he's here. He's here. <laughs> I don't want to interrupt a good thing. I mean, Elliot, um, how about if you give our listeners just a short synopsis of your amazing film? Okay. Uh, Le Refuge is a short comedy about a woman on vacation with her family in Switzerland who's coming unhinged from the guilt of representing the manufacturer of a cheap car that tips over when it turns left. And by the so way, which to me, I know, for me, I, I just burst out laughing. Of course, it only tips over when it turns left. You know, it's just that little detail that, that takes you to that design yeah, defects. that little third level. Really, really well done. And you know, I would point out that I think maybe you should have asked UPS to pay for this film because they don't have drivers that turn left. All yes. the UPS drivers have to turn right only. So I didn't know if you had that in mind. You were looking for sponsorship or yeah, something. Yeah, we're, we're a little slow on the uptake <laughs> for product placement. And there but you go. <laughs> we, we, we should have uh, yes. joined forces. And Elliot went to law school. You went to Harvard and Law School. so did O'Toole. I Both of them went to Harvard. Yep. Yep. <laughs> and I first saw the film at a special screening at Harvard Law School. And the film, it's truly, it's so engrossing that it took me 20 minutes to realize I was seated directly behind a U.S. Supreme Court justice. That's how into the movie I was. <laughs> and Elliot, I understand that you somehow got out of this requirement of writing a thesis for your third year at Harvard Law School and you wrote a screenplay? Many years ago uh cue the uh horizontal titles like in star wars many years ago at, in a world in, far in, far in, away right and, um martha minnow who's now the dean of harvard law school is at the time uh, my professor she wasn't dean and she advised uh, uh my third year paper and i did write a screenplay very different tone from le refuge it's actually I would say a love story sewn into a legal thriller. 
didn't she tell you something like, you can do this, but only if I can teach it later? What was uh, that? Yes, yeah. I, I thought I was going to have to plead a little bit yeah. to, to get to write a screenplay for my third year paper. And I got one sentence into my plea and she said, give me something I can teach eventually rather than a, a stale treatise that you don't really feel like writing. Uh, and anyway, that we'll just file and uh, we'll be good here. And then when she hosted us at the screening, she told the audience Elliot promised uh, that he would eventually produce his third year paper, this film called Clementine, this feature that I advised. And she said, and this is not that. <laughs> and then she said, uh, but Le Refuge, the short film, we've agreed it's a down payment on my get <laughs> to Martha you know, it's like, you know, we people who went to the University of Nebraska and didn't go to Harvard Law School, we don't think that the, the professors at Harvard Law School have that kind of wonderful sense of humor. So was she a mentor to you? She absolutely, uh, mentor, friend-tor, and, and friend, <laughs> I love that. and uh, no shortage of sense of humor. Yeah. Was it an so. oral contract you had or a written one? Uh, <laughs> Do we have to worry about the statute of frauds? <laughs> yeah, uh, take it away, O'Toole. <laughs> all okay, I remember, all right, look, all look, I know, right, I learned right, on yeah, Law yeah. and Order. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I just want to start off by saying O'Toole and I have been to a lot of film festivals. We see a lot of shorts. I'm not a short lover because I always feel like they're hurried. Like you're trying to tell an entire story in 20 minutes, and I need to marinate in things to be able to really understand them. And I don't think I've ever seen a short that tells a story with so many subplots that's, that doesn't rush me. And it felt like a full-length feature in 23 minutes. Did you work on that? Did you think about that? Yeah, thank you. I mean, I, w I was certainly very aware of um, wanting to make an ambitious short film. And at the risk of, you know, invoking the too lofty, if I was going to make a short film, let's think of short stories rather than short films. And, you know, that Tolstoy tells a good uh, uh, short story. And I had written several feature scripts that I have not yet made as feature films. And this was something of a proving ground for those features. And I didn't want to make a teeny calling card with two characters. I wanted to make an ambitious canvas short. Do you like shorts? Um, I certainly don't like sketch comedy a ton. And so that is a little bit of what you might be Maybe that's getting. Okay. Uh, one of my actors, Peter Hirsch, who plays Roman in Le Refuge, who's a depressed Romanian soccer goalie, Peter Hirsch uh, termed Le Refuge my Fabergé egg roll. <laughs> and, and what he meant by that is it's uh, potentially ex exquisite, or at least aspirationally exquisite, but it's also a tasty little meal. And, and then as to the pace itself, which is a related point, uh, we have, um, uh, you know, there are times to let it breathe, uh, not, you know, not have it all be snappy. Um, and, and if you have four plots going at once, silence is terribly important for us to process how a beat is working in all four stories at once. What an amazing cast that you assembled. I mean, we've got Tony nominees, Tony winners, Peter Hirsch, that doesn't surprise me that he came up with the Fabergé egg roll. No, no, but wait, I have to interrupt. Did you know he's a six-time Emmy winner? I don't really care because For what I care about I mean, was... This is like he, an amazing he cast. He was a six-time Emmy winner till he won his seventh. 
Oh, <laughs> and he's probably on his way to his eighth. Were they all he, for he is um, again, children's programming? He, he writes the show Arthur. He's the head writer of the children's show Arthur, which is mm-hmm. such an elegant, decent, fiercely smart piece I've of never seen it, actually. Do I need to watch it? You do. Uh, uh, yeah, it's uh, Just turn off the mic and let's get it up on. <laughs> yeah, no, I will go look uh, at it, it is, if you tell me to. It's yeah. um, a WGBH-generated show right, that's right. two decades into its life. For me, though, when I, I'm, I'm watching it and then I'm seeing this couple come on, and I'm thinking I've seen them somewhere. It was Dan in real life. And there we are sitting there with Jessica Heck and Frank Wood. And then they play a couple in this. Yes. And A, I wanted to know if that you had seen them in Dan in real life and, and sort of targeted them for this. But secondly, it really shows the versatility of their acting because they're very different parts. Absolutely. And yes. Yeah. I didn't. Uh, I, sur- I saw it in real life, the Peter Hedges film. Uh, and love it? Did you love it? I did. Okay. So I'd certainly seen them in that, but no, I, I, I didn't, uh, I'm sure I didn't consciously recouple them. Uh, uh, but I had seen them both. They're both great New York stage actors. And they both have very versatile resumes. And yeah. I thought to myself, you're a first time director. Okay. And you assembled what I think is one of the great casts, but not only that ensemble cast, but also with a sense of individuality to the parts in it. And I just wondered, like, how, why did they say yes to you? Yeah, I'm yes. going to go with the script. And it takes um, getting the script to them. Uh, Cindy Tolan is the casting director mm-hmm. of the film and one of the co-producers. Her saying yes was actually the key piece to this cast coming together. Thank this, you, Cindy. Thank you, Cindy. Uh, O'Toole, can you please also <laughs> thank Cindy? Cindy cast uh, A View from the Bridge, the Arthur Miller play on Broadway. For which Jessica Hecht was nominated for a Tony. Yeah, and that's a production with Liev Schreiber, where Jessica played Leo Schreiber's uh, wife, and uh, Scarlett Johansson was in that production. And uh, Jessica, I, I mean, I had been somewhat slain by her years earlier in Arthur Miller's After the Fall. And I actually should say, one of the things I said to Cindy Tolan was, I, I want great dramatic actors. I don't want immediately uh, identifiable um, comics. I don't want cheating, mugging, winking. I want, and I even said facetiously, I want everyone to behave like Vanessa Redgrave. Because <laughs> if you have a story about one character... Wait, how does Vanessa Redgrave... Uh, dire, grave. It's onomatopoeia, red, grave. <laughs> um, and red, hot, and and uh, and also cold. Um, in all of the word red, grave. Um, and she, uh, and uh, I wanted, uh, if somebody uh, is feeling guilty that she reps the maker of a cheap car that tips over when it turns left, <laughs> but she behaves like she's Lady Macbeth, uh, or feels like she's Lady Macbeth, this to me is um, drier and rier and... and um, the possibility for great um, uh, mirth is, is better for me than if they're sort of handwritten cheating and then whomping it up. And then on the other hand, you have a soccer goalie, uh, Romanian soccer goalie. Who, played by Peter Hirsch. Played by Peter Hirsch, who uh, who owned gold. He scored against his own team by accident. I love that and expression. And he, he too, uh, if, um, you know, uh, if he feels as if he's committed genocide, um, <laughs> rather than actually, By the way, if he were in Brazil, he would have. dead. Yeah. And, yes. well, I, I think it's I, so why you so made it France instead of Brazil? There's Romanian. no way he would have been, yeah. Yeah, um, Romanian there, I have some personal heritage there and, and, um, and also that sort of, uh, Soviet gloom 
seemed appropriate for his character. Uh, but um, And his wife was played by an actress who really is from Romania. Yes, in fact, from Bucharest. Mm. Um, I think there were some maternal hunger strikes to get her out of the country during Ceausescu, wow. which got her uh, to NYU, where she would room with Jessica Hecht, oh. which comes to answer the question, how does one pull a cast together on a, a first wow. short film? So Jessica Hecht and Alina Lowenson, who was in Schindler's List right. and Basquiat yes. and Hal Hartley films, like Simple Men and uh, actually a very were roommates. So, mm-hmm. yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. So, but Cindy was the one who could get us in touch with Jessica Hecht. And that was the first uh, domino. Well and then Frank Wood had Tony, you, winner. You, uh, Tony Award winner, uh, yeah, in um, Sideman, Side uh, uh, opposite Edie Falco, uh, where he played a sort of down and out trumpeter. Oh, and the, the teenager in your movie is on Nurse Jackie. He, he is. He was so there's a, an actually, connection. Yes, and Frank Wood plays a harpist in our film. Who's, on, who's the young woman who plays the, the daughter <laughs> of the room? I mean, what? Um, uh, the, um, uh, Fontaine. An amazing look on her. You uh, know, like something about the camera loves her, but not in this, oh, I'm so beautiful way, but in this, I'm so incredibly interesting way, yeah. and I'm very pretty. Um, Anna Girardot. Uh, who came from Paris to play uh-huh. the role. And I think that's right. I think it's because she's an excellent actor. The camera does love her. The Anyone walking past her loves her. Uh, she, <laughs> you know. But talk to me about the tattoo. And did you layer that into the script afterward? Or was that there from the beginning? Uh, from the beginning. It was. I, See, I, I wasn't sure. Okay. I don't go into <laughs> battle uh, well, lightly. <laughs> yeah. So Jessica Hest and Frank Wood play a couple. Yeah. Um, they're traveling in Switzerland with their teenage son and looking for a restaurant. Yes. And they walk into a couple's home. Yes. Which they think is the restaurant. Yes. Yes. Because Jessica's character, Gemma, is is, um, sufficiently uh, absorbed in her own guilt about this car that tips over when it turns left, she um, is in a a psychic space where she could walk into someone's home and not notice it's a home and think it's a, a boutique restaurant. I can see that happening. Actually, my mother had taken me when I was a boy to a music festival in Lucerne, Switzerland, and we stayed at a little inn uh, uh, across the street from a house that was nestled between a restaurant and a parking lot. And I thought, uh, people must occasionally go to that house and say, we're here for dinner. And so it sat there as a, oh, as a, a, a credible concept. But the thing about comedy, uh, and my term is poetic comic license, I don't actually much mind whether it's credible or not. Everything is emotionally credible. People can be in such a daze that they don't notice that a, a nuke has landed next door um, <laughs> if they're having a bad fight in their relationship that day. For me, film is about education, engagement, and entertainment, the three E's, that's what I call it. The educational component of this film is that we all do tend to make assumptions based on our own personal experience and where we're coming from, and you layered in these beautiful things of how these assumptions could go awry and believable even in their unbelievableness. Certainly this story is not um, realistic, but it's... Yeah. It's emotionally truthful, exactly. and those are yes. different things. Mm-hmm. And comedy is a preserve where you can uh, uh, have a character feeling alone, mm-hmm. and you can uh, then, if a character, uh, you know, hypothetically is feeling lonely, and you throw him into a Manhattan street where he's bumping into a million people, and then he goes home and you know, hand rings, I'm so alone in the world. The truth uh, uh, is, you know, what governs. And in this story, the um, Gemma's character 
she's a highly bright lawyer. Mm-hmm. Uh, she just simply at this moment in time is going to observe nothing. So it, she's in a, 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 a nothing other than her own shame. And so she's in a, a house where every little cue that should tip off anyone's sentient that they're in a home, she keeps processing as, you know, the, a little boy goes to get himself a cup of exactly. water in the middle of the movie and she takes it as a slight. But they're all in the same experience, having totally different experiences based on their own tragedy that they're living in themselves. Elliot, I thought that was so beautifully done. For example, when um, the Romanian hostess there in Switzerland just was trying to compliment her on her watch. And she says, it's a gift from my father. It wasn't a gift from my firm. And immediately, it just summed up in so few words how unhinged she was and how she was just misperceiving any comments sent her way. Yeah, this misunderstanding that's at the root of, uh, that um, plays out throughout the story to me, the, the Americans think they're in a restaurant, and the Romanians think some friends of their cousins have dropped in. Mm-hmm. The Americans never realize that they're not, in fact, at a restaurant. That's right. the, the, the harpist, her, her husband, played by Frank Wood, Gemma's husband. Played very convincingly. Yes. He plays the harpist for the New York Philharmonic, and I was blown away when you told me that the real harpist from the New York Philharmonic had given Frank Wood pointers. Oh, who knew? Yes, it, it, we get the sense from the intensity of Gemma's character that he's had to opt out of of um, acute attention for years in order to thrive in that relationship. And their son, who is the skeptic when he walks in and says, why is there no one here? Maybe we should look at a menu. And and, uh, Gemma, his mother, says to him, very fine restaurants. Sometimes there's just the Jeff Joyce. And she keeps not taking the cues that this is not a restaurant. And that boy, the only rational actor until Fontaine, Anna Girardot, walks down the stairs. Mm -hmm. And then the proverbial Cupid's arrow takes him out of reason. But what I was going to say is, this is not the point of the film. This is the setting for the film. Mm-hmm. This misunderstanding, it's its not some little comedy of errors and manners. This is a chassis for a story about shame and two families that are in crisis who are going to need each other. A, a theme that I um, am drawn to, I've described as diverse characters driven into disquieting intimacy. The reason I was interested in uh, studying that in Le Refuge is that I've written a feature called Indestructible, which I had written before I wrote and we made Le Refuge. The films are oh so slightly narratively interwoven. And I've said that Le Refuge is a small moon that orbits the planet Indestructible. And Indestructible, uh, they had, the two films have one and only one common uh, character, and that character is the car that tips over when it turns left. And Indestructible exists on a much bigger uh, American canvas. High skies, a a young male lawyer coming unhinged, the American open road of avarice, and uh, car chases with a car that can't turn left. We've actually begun casting that feature. But but, uh, uh, it's it's not a small budget film. And people had said to me, oh, how are you going to tip over the car? How are you going to flip the cars? Isn't it, how are you going to direct that as a first feature? And I said, the difficult part isn't flipping the cars. I don't know how to flip cars. Pedro Almodovar doesn't know how to flip cars. Somebody helps you flip the cars. The difficult part is late in this film, there's a dinner party scene where 
all of the characters, some invited, some uninvited, have been driven, and in this film with the cars flying all over the place, quite literally driven into a disquieting intimacy. How long did it take you to write? The feature took me a year. This short, probably, I probably was working away on the script at various times for eight months or something, as opposed to, you know, the proportional yep. six weeks it might, uh-huh. might have. But. It's like that Mark Twain quote where he's writing a letter to a friend and apologizes saying, I'm sorry, it would have been shorter, but I didn't have enough time. Yeah. yeah. The dinner table scene, it was like a master class in reaction shots. And I understand it was a one camera shoot. It was. Did you shoot it sequentially though? We did not shoot sequentially and that's a, a function of time. We had very limited time. I'll explain why in a minute. Um, but we had to if you're doing your shots of Jessica Hecht, mm-hmm. uh, you're going to get all your shots of Jessica Hecht at a certain focal distance, um, uh, all your close-ups at once. So you you grab them all and you, you, you don't keep resetting uh, the, the camera. Jessica and Frank were both starring, Frank Wood, were both starring on Broadway the week of our shoot. Uh, Are they going to be offering seminars on time management? Yes, <laughs> and, and um, I am. Was the shoot, was the shoot <laughs> so, week? So they were. They, the shoot was five days, and they were running back to the theater. So we didn't have wow. time to do anything other than what was the most uh, economical way about it. And as to the reaction shots, my, our editor Aaron Kuhn, uh, who also edited uh, the the pretty well known show Damages, oh, uh, the Glenn Close, which is something of a triumph of editing that show. Uh, Aaron, Aaron yeah. brought that to bear and, uh, a, a number of reaction shots. We, you know, you, you have them in your arsenal and sometimes they end up slightly different places from where you first thought they would be. Uh, especially because we have a character, the young boy, um, Olivier, uh, the young, uh, son of the owners of the house who speaks only one line in the film and is all reaction shots. And in some ways, I think he's the kind of only adult in the film. Well, uh, and I love the like ending a... where everybody else is paired off and then he goes into the computer to mm-hmm. find his way. With so the, the credit card. That yeah, was like exactly. a wonderful That he's like been little, given by the Marcel, Marcel. New Yorkers mm-hmm. who think to he's the, the busboy <laughs> to pay for the meal and he just keeps it <laughs> and goes on a shopping spree later. Yeah. Um, the lighting. Yes. Beautifully yeah. lit. Yeah, Beautifully really. Lit. But 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 clearly with a thought behind it. What's uh, the thought behind it? So the director of photography is Wyatt Garfield, and he um, graduated from Gaffer on Beasts of the Southern Wild. Oh. It's been a very um, charmed collaboration. Comedy so often looks like it's set in an airport. It's <laughs> just the lighting is so neutral and and. Bland. And, and I, it just feels like you're at a Cinnabon. Um, always. I like being at a Cinnabon. Uh, don't, don't be mean. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. But you, you, but you don't, but you don't take your, um, you I don't know, take pictures there. You don't take your art there. No, yeah, exactly. you, don't, you don't paint no, at the no, Cinnabon. Cinnabon. <laughs> you don't break out your, your easel. Um, uh, but, but, uh, I wanted the aesthetics to have the depth that the story, uh, you know, we were aspiring to. We also wanted it to have a warmth mm-hmm. so that I described it as a portal to enchantment because the story is not strictly realistic. It's emotionally truthful, but it's a little bit fantastical. The endless coincidences. I think it also allowed the characters to be a little vulnerable. It was dark enough that they could be 
you know, they could they could show themselves without being exposed, you know, if in a way. Yeah, abs- oh, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. There were shadows. But but it's also light enough so that, that hope can exactly. come in. Uh, their little souls can be freed. Uh- <laughs> now, there's a neon light at the end. And I, I'm looking at this as a low-budget film, and I'm thinking to myself, okay, so, you know, did you spend all your money on the neon? It's a very astute question. <gasps> Yay! I'm astute. <laughs> uh, we spent we an inordinate. <laughs> we, we really spend an inordinate amount of our budget on one neon sign. You know, you did right. We make 22 uh, minutes of film. We have seven actors, two of whom came in from Paris, two of whom are you know New York uh, greats. Broadway stars. And we had this um, caliber, and it was it was a bit of a fantasy camp. We had all of that. But the, the neon light um, <laughs> in our budget in one line item eclipsed a lot of what we... No, uh, I mean, it, yeah. it was funny because it was sort of like everything else, you you know, my mother could have made the glop, you know, yeah. that they were eating. Yes, that, was then, you <laughs> yes know, the glop that didn't was, cost a lot of money, was, you know, exactly. Beat, beat I think the mesh. opening sequence must have been expensive. I loved the vintage travel posters that immediately put you in Switzerland. And then the animation of the car trundling in and you hear the voices and you hear the family and, you know, I'm hungry, yeah. where are we going to eat? Hollister and O'Toole know the elements of filmmaking because those are the two most expensive parts of the, of the film. Where is the neon sign going to be in the future of your life? Where are you going to it, right now, it's in storage near Columbus okay. Circle. I'll take that. And and, uh, and uh, you know you you may have this. There may be a, a transaction here. Uh, I, I it doesn't actually light up. We never had a transformer, but for some reason in the visual effects process, we needed an actual neon sign. Even then, after to have the visual effects yeah. artists yeah. Um, lay in credible neon. This film is set in Lausanne, Switzerland, but we shot entirely on West 70th Street in Manhattan and in Central Park <laughs> to create these two houses, a house that's mistaken, to, you know, taken to be a restaurant and a restaurant that they, the characters don't go to. It's the restaurant called Le Refuge, where we therefore required the neon sign to say Le Refuge, where the, the point being, if the characters had actually gone to that restaurant, they never would have found the refuge that they found by accidentally home invading a nice Swiss-Romanian family. <laughs> the house itself isn't in Central Park either. I took a photograph in Switzerland three years earlier, and I gave it to my visual effects crew, and they layered it into the trees really? in Central Wow, Park. well done. Now, I have to ask about the title, because I care about titles a lot. I actually think they're sort of the doorway into what you know the point is. And there's another movie, Le Refuge, from 2007. A French film. Yes, yeah. exactly. They don't have the sign. No, they don't they have the sign. sign. Yeah. So uh, did you know that? It- I did. I, I, I think that there are actually several films to, to um, deepen the quicksand here for me. I, I, there are several films over the years named Le Refuge. Clearly, it's not the most original title. And as someone who wrote my first feature-length screenplay called My Fruit Cup Runneth Over. And for, <laughs> as does everyone's, by the way. Uh, right. <laughs> I favor it dynamic title but um i think you said that the title is your way into the film uh in this film i think it's also the way out of the film and it's the last shot of the film the house that once was a house was taken to be a restaurant and now has been taken to be a bed and breakfast because the new yorkers never because they turned that house into a home yes (laughs) absolutely they colonize it without ever realizing but there is harmony and we pan away from the house to the restaurant across the street where they might have gone if they had looked 
left, <laughs> dark of night, we see the, the little faintly lit sign, Le Refuge, and we see it flicker out. And that's the reveal that had they gone across the street and had they found, had they noticed the restaurant Le Refuge, they never would have found the refuge that they found in uh, this little home invasion and meeting this family that, these families who needed each other. Oh, nice. And there yeah. is also then, the, we have a lyric in, in the um, song that's going on at that moment, uh, Le Refuge, Saint les autres. Um, which is the the refuge, it's other people, which is very different from the famous Sartre quote, um, l'enfer c'est les autres, hell is other people, and very much the moral of this, a moral sure of this Simon film. Simon de Beauvoir appreciated that. Yes, you know? exactly, yes. yeah, it's a, it's a, a real um, fire starter. That was when, a pickup line. They were speed you know? dating, yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, uh, but a real catnip for existentialists. But um, but uh, there's there's no... Simple answer. Well, there is nothing simple about any single thing in this film. I mean, this is not a simple film. You know, in Elliot, the dialogue was so fabulous. Mm -hmm. You know, it's functioning at such a high level. I mean, for example, the line, there is no vacation from humiliation. Mm -hmm. Wonderful, wonderful lines. I can see why Jessica Hecht and Frank Wood were willing to run back and forth from Broadway theaters to your set to play these parts because they were so rich. Thank you. Yeah, wonderful I clearly, dialogue. I, I save it for my films and don't always have it available <laughs> for my podcasts. Now, by the way, having been a speechwriter for some women who, uh, if you care to name them, you're welcome to. I, I was uh, a speechwriter for the Ms. Foundation for Women. And yeah. I wrote their Gloria Steinem Awards. Right. Uh, Gloria was my editor for wow. that. Uh, and uh, I also met Marlo Thomas, mm -hmm. who was one of the founders of the Miss Foundation. with you and me. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, great, great, great children. Okay, but I, I, you know, I have to, I have to say, like so many times in my mind, um, a writer can write really well for his or her own gender, mm. but not necessarily for both. And I think one of the brilliant parts about the dialogue is maybe that's why you can write for both is because you can write. You can certainly, you certainly have the voice of my gender in you as well. Mm -hmm. um, thank you. I'll take it. Uh, I also was raised for chunks of time by a single mom, okay, which may go. be the antecedent of why I was speech yeah. writing for women. I've said my mother, who is, I, I, did I mention earlier, if I didn't, my mom, Joan Kretschmer, is music consultant on the film. You did not? Is a, a pianist. And she taught you how to talk, I'm guessing. Certainly you know, didn't discourage so. it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, she, uh, I've said sometimes that she was the great inadvertent feminist. Um, it may not have been a self-fashioned uh, yeah. thing she was doing. But I may have inherited some of the anger at certain indignities that I was observing. I know. The, uh, you know, the other thing is, um, after people listen to our discussion of this film, everybody's going to want to watch it. Uh, for the time being, it's uh, playing at a, a, a few more festivals, and and we. Can you name a couple just so we can? People can look them up if they happen to be nearby. Next Sunday, we're at the Newport Beach Film Festival. Okay, next Sunday would be the... 26th. The 26th. Uh, the 26th of April. The 26th of April. And um, for the time being, during the, the, the festival, we're not actually allowed to distribute it on uh, right. through the internet. Uh, you'd lose eligibility for uh, a number of festivals. But any uh, any listener of Screen Thoughts who wants to see it sooner should get in touch with Hollister, O'Toole, or uh, me. And we'll put you in and touch. We'll, we'll, Absolutely. Uh, and also, we'll let everybody it. know when there is a place for them to go to see it. Because, first of all, I'm sure you're going to win everything, you know, and as well you should. But our hope is that this doesn't just go as do many short films 
where it just is not able to be found. There's nowhere to park them where people can watch them. It's sad. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I imagine that'll change as attention spans <laughs> seem to shorten, and maybe and maybe series streaming. of shorts would be popular. Well, and also uh, HBO and Netflix, maybe they'll have these short sections that, that sort of take off that way. And Elliot, you had an HBO screening in New York. Uh, HBO, yeah, hosted a screening um, in December. I should also mention that at the Cleveland uh, International Film Festival, uh, Paul Sloop, the head programmer, there were 224 shorts, as you said there. There were 430 films. There were 100,000 attendees. I was wow. just there a couple weeks ago. Really? The, the magnitude and elegance of what they were running, Paul uh, is curating with such intelligence and also a real, um, I, I think, a real um, understanding of American appetites and potential. And I could see someone like that. And... Um, uh, sort of figuring out how to put some uh, shorts on the road. And uh, that's certainly something we've actually started talking about. But the short, the, the most succinct answer is right now, people have to get in touch with Hollister and O'Toole. <laughs> and what personal experience um, brought this to your, to your brain? Uh, the the story. Yeah. Uh, well, O'Toole and I were at law school together, and <laughs> O'Toole, you inspired this amazing. This, I, I'd this. like to think I inspired an unhinged character. <laughs> right. So this is the the one and only um, interview that I'll uh, sit in, where the, there's someone who was in the room the moment that the little seedling um, took root. Isn't that sad? Elliot caught that little seedling. I was probably just drinking my hazelnut coffee, missing a creative moment that came down from the gods, but okay. Thank you. And there was the Ford Pinto case. Mm -hmm. I remember. And I grew up in Detroit. I, I oh, went to wow. High, yeah, Bloomfield Hills. Wow. Yes, my father was at Ford. Um, wow. Yeah. We're in, this is quite an, uh, you know, a yeah. little star no, chamber I'm in. <laughs> so they chose not to put an $11 part per car in the line of cars. Because when actuaries and, go very, very bad. And I was in our law school class mm -hmm. with um, teetotaling O'Toole, <laughs> and I thought, what on earth do you do with this fact? And I, I, my, my reaction wasn't, oh, this is immoral, because that actually has no explanatory power. Uh, morality? Yes, it is immoral. It's plainly immoral. But how does it happen? And I actually think what struck me was, how could they be so selfish? How can you go to bed at night knowing that you are buying your third home or whatever when somebody has a, quote, serious burn injury that was avoidable? So that's where it all came. That was the spark. And now yes. we have the plug. Yeah. yeah. yeah the, but you didn't make her evil in any way. And she didn't. For it, sure. She didn't make her even culpable. In for, fact, well, there's something in between. The normal step in, in uh, O'Toole's in my classroom would have been to go become an impact litigator. And I sat there, and this was our first year at law school, and thought, how really do you affect change in this arena? And I honestly thought uh, comedy. Comedy is the only way, I mean, that to, to get Brilliant. people to listen. And and I'm not, I mean, this isn't a, a missionary zeal. And what you just said about Gemma's character is right. I, I, the story is primarily about human beings and their feelings and shame. And but certain... we felt her shame was exaggerated. For the crime. And in Elliot's movie, she writes a memo saying, well, they don't have to turn left. They can make three right-hand turns, which, yeah, again, yeah. just heightens the brilliance, the yeah, wit. Thank you. Know? you. No, but that's a key part of comedy. If the car was torching people in the comedy, then then it wouldn't work yeah, that, yeah. because it's a car that tips over and turns left. Nobody got hurt. And it just tipped over. In the feature, well, I love that. Yes. In it's the like feature, a cow tipping over yeah. in the breast. No, and people <laughs> in the feature, you enter, you hear that people of modest upper body strength can put it back upright, actually, <laughs> and also it's very popular with circuses for their clowns. And you know, but yes, in this 
you know, human brew, is there a, a little bit of a social justice zeal? Absolutely. But if you can do it with a light comic touch, mm-hmm. uh, then comedy is this actually, actually, if people are laughing, they're physically convulsing. Their guard is down. Yes, Ideas can get in. Right. And so mm-hmm. I don't, uh, it's, it's not to be a bully pulpit, but do I half mind if people a year later in a parking lot just look at um, corporate America in a slightly different way while putting their keys in their dubiously roadworthy <laughs> contraption? <laughs> oh, and I mean, it's not yeah. just cars. I'm, to that end, I mean, I, I, I'm not making Le Refuge uh, <laughs> expecting it to um, change uh, um, Who do you con- admire? Do you admire behavior. Sorkin? Who do you Absolutely who admire else? Sorkin. Uh, who else do I admire? You know, um, Gandhi, Martin Luther King, Nelson Mandela. uh, All um, making movies in a certain way. And also, uh, in that list, um, Chaplin. Wasn't he buried in Lausanne twice? Uh, You you will have to (laughs) probably expand (laughs) on that. Someone dug up his body and stole it. Uh, Mm -hmm. Chaplin's body Body was buried in Switzerland twice. In Lausanne. I thought it was Lausanne. I'm going to have to Google it. I didn't know that, Um. or maybe I don't know that. I admire a great deal Pedro Almodovar. Um, women on the verge of a nervous breakdown. Is... And speaking of heavy hitters, your credits were packed with some recognizable 11 names. Eleven producers or something? Um, Samantha Power being one of them. The U.S. ambassador to the U.N. Yes. Uh, Samantha Power and Aisha Yuxel Mahfoud are the associate producers among the group. And they are dear friends, each of whom I went to school with. And uh, in some ways, I wanted to reflect in the credits of the film, well, not only the help they offered on this film, but also the, the prior decades of producing in the most uh, profound sense uh, that allows me to still be hanging on to, to start making movies. And then um, some wonderful uh, Michael Hadge was another of the associate producers who uh, produced Looking for Richard, uh, the Al Pacino directed film. You like writing or directing better? They're uh, inextricable for I me. I was going to say, can you imagine uh, doing one without the other? I, I conceive of it to realize it. And I have this notion of making works that are spherically sound. Uh, you know, such that from any angle you approach it, it has the same depth and dimension, and uh, and it all has to work together. The, the if the music is going to make a comment, then the script shouldn't. So, do you? I mean, do you think Academy Awards? I don't think you can want to make movies as a child no, and right? and take a shower without <laughs> using the um the uh, shower head as your microphone for your test speeches. I understand <laughs> the uh, the authenticity of the arts, the belief that arts shouldn't be competing. The goal is to express myself and do it in a way that I hope presses down to evince insight, so that each moment is experienced by the audience in a way they haven't seen before. Well, you would uh, be thanking us, right? I, I, I mean, if, well, no, I, I would, would say, I would get, you both have undershot. Well, we will look forward to the continued yes. trajectory of where you're going with this. Elliot, there is such integrity to your storytelling. Yeah, Congratulations. Really it was such a pleasure and I cannot wait to watch your feature. Thank you both. Thank you.